If you're uh, anything like me, and uh, that's kind of a scary thought right there, um, but if you're anything like probably most people, um, you've gone through um, this kind of set of events in your life where you have had certain convictions about certain things, um, some things that you thought were, were right and that you should be doing in your life, or certain things that you thought were wrong and that you should avoid in your life, and, and it's just like, this is, this is wrong, absolutely wrong, no one should ever do this, no, no dad should ever do this, no husband should ever do this, no mom or so, no lady should ever do this, certain convictions that you've had, and, and based upon those convictions, you've made certain commitments to yourself that you would never or that you would always and then you got into a certain season of life or maybe you got on a certain spring break or maybe there was just a certain weekend and things that you said you'd never do or things that you said you would always do um, you broke those convictions and those commitments that you've had right um why don't you take a moment to share with the person next to you an example? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't have you do that. Um, but all of us, we have, we have those convictions and we have those commitments that we've made. And as we look at those things, those convictions and those commitments, we realize that making those things, they're going to be good for us right? Um, we make them for a certain reason, and primarily the reason that we make certain convictions and have certain commitments is because we think that they're going to be good for us and good for our lives. Um, some examples would be, you know, we, make a we have a conviction and we make a commitment to a certain diet. Um, we, we make a commitment that we're going we're gonna to study harder in school, or we're going we're gonna to go to work earlier, or we're going to leave work earlier and spend more time with our family. Um, we're going to, you know, some of us, we probably grew up in a home, and we're like, I'm never going to do that in my house when I grow up. Or you, you see someone, and you're like, I'm, you know, you, from the outside, you kind of look at their life, and you're like, I, I just don't ever want to do that in my own life. And so we have convictions about something being right or something being wrong, and we make commitments based upon those convictions that we make for ourselves that are going to benefit us, and then we break them. And if you think about that, I mean, that's, that's pretty strange. If we've got such strong convictions and commitments that are going to be good for us, and then we go out in life, and you know maybe we're good for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a season of life, and then time comes, circumstances change, and we break our own commitments and our own convictions that we have for ourselves. And wh why is that? How is that that we can feel so strongly about something? And make a commitment to ourselves about it. And then go out and break it. That's what we want to talk about today. This whole idea of having convictions and commitments. And how is it that we can make them and then break them. And we all do that. And the thing that we all know, despite the fact that we do that, we make them and we break them. We all know that it's not good for us. And we all know that there are certain realms of life where it can become very serious if we have certain convictions and commitments and then we go out and break them. Let me give you an example. If tomorrow morning I were to walk across the street and into U.S. Bank over there and I thought to myself, you know what, I've gone 31 years of my life, I've gone my whole life with a certain commitment um, not to rob banks. 
But you know what? I, I just feel like I've earned one. So I think I can break that commitment, uh, that conviction that I have that I probably shouldn't do that. You know, that, that's not going to turn out well for me. And yet all of us, we have convictions and we make commitments and, and they're good for us. And yet somehow we end up breaking them in our lives and not just once usually, right? We might break a commitment and feel bad about it because that's what happens when we let ourselves down. We feel guilty. We feel like we shouldn't have done that. So then what do we do? We, we come back to our convictions, which haven't changed, and we get back to our commitments and we go a, a season of time keeping it and then we somehow convince ourselves that we've been pretty good and maybe we've earned the right to break it again. And we find ourselves back in that same boat of convictions, commitments, breaking them, and feeling bad about it. Why is that? How is it that we keep doing that time and time again? Now, there's probably a lot of different ways you could answer that question, depending upon the particular situation of the convictions and commitments that you have. Today, we're going to talk about convictions and commitments that we have that deal with our relationship with God. And how is it that we can have certain convictions and write some of the convictions that we have about this relationship that we have with God? Some of these convictions are based upon God's convictions, things that God wants for us, things that God knows is best for us. So our convictions are based upon God's convictions, and we have commitments based on that. We, we commit kind of to this relationship. And how is it that we find ourselves breaking that commitment and going against those convictions that we have in this relationship that we have with God. So what we want to talk about today is how is it that we break those convictions and how is it that we try to fight against breaking those convictions further on in our lives. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's a month from now, but how is it that we fight against breaking those commitments and convictions that we have with God? Now, we're going to do that this morning, um, looking at, as we've been doing all summer long, the life of Moses and the Israelites. And this morning, um, our main lesson that we're going to talk about is from Exodus 32. But before we get there, I'm going to read some verses to you from Exodus chapter 19 that really set up um, the situation that we're going to find ourselves in in Exodus 32. And so it's important for us to kind of take a look at these verses. Um, the time span in between Exodus 19 and Exodus 32 is just 40 days, okay? So a little less than six weeks, not a real long length of time. I know it covers a lot of maybe chapters in the Bible. There's kind of a lot of details that get filled in in between there. But the time span, just 40 days from Exodus 19 to Exodus 32, all right? So Exodus 19, just going to read the first eight verses. doesn't need a lot of explanation. I'll just make a few comments as we go along. In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, so that's what we talked about you know, a couple weeks ago, 10 plagues, God rescuing um, and freeing, redeeming the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And then God, um, at the, the Red Sea, the shore of the Red Sea, God is parting the waters and allowing the Israelites to, to go free on dry land. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So just after all of these things happen, happened, the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the Israelites. 
You yourselves, Israelites, you have seen what I did to Egypt. You saw how I delivered you. You saw how I destroyed their army. You saw how I rescued you. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that word covenant is talking about a relationship, a special relationship that the Israelites would have with God. And there were some parameters set around this um, uh, relationship, this covenant, some convictions that God had, some things that he wanted his people to be convicted of, convinced of. All right. So now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Doesn't that sound nice? To have the God of the universe look down on you and say about you, you are my treasured possession. That was this special covenant relationship that the Israelites were entering in with the God who had rescued them from Egypt just a short time ago. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses, verse 7, went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. We will do everything God has said. We have heard about this special relationship that God has with us. We want this. We know that this is going to be good for us. We we have convictions about it. We are committed to it. We will do everything the Lord has said. Fast forward 40 days, Exodus 32. Verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, like so long, like 40 days so long, like we think we're impatient, right? You know, we've got fast food that we depend upon and it's got to be freaky fast. Um, we're, We're so like impatient. They were impatient after 40 days, like too long, getting too nervous, things aren't good here, something's not working out right here. Um, not good. So Moses, so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, who was also leading the people with Moses, and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Right? So we're getting really uncomfortable. He's been gone for 40 days. Um, We're nervous. We got some insecurity issues going on here. We need a God. We need something. Verse 2, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, really, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. (laughs) Forty days prior, they had Moses, 
They were recalling all of the great things that God had done. God was telling them he wanted them to be his special people. And they were convinced and they were committed to that relationship. Forty days later, how is it that they can go from those convictions and that commitment to God who had rescued them to Moses, we don't know what happened to him. God, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron, we need something. Can you do something for us? Yeah, I'll take your gold and I'll fashion a calf. And then you'll feel better about that. Right? You'll feel good about that. How is that possible? How, how does something like that happen? It happens because of this. Human beings are, by nature, worshipers. Now, some of you might think to yourself, you know, you know, I don't like that idea, being called a worshiper. You know, especially maybe if you're here at church and somebody dragged you here to church this morning. You know, that whole concept might be a little bit unpleasant. Maybe you have somebody in your, your, your family, somebody that you know, and you think, man, they would not like to hear me call them a worshiper. Everyone is a worshiper of some kind. What I mean by that is everyone has something that they value most in their life, that they in some way set apart as special, they think it's worth more honor, they think it's worth more praise in their life. Everybody has something like that. It might not be God. It might be money that they value more than anything else or that we value more than anything else. It might be um, power, it might be a position of authority, you know, being able to command others that we value more than anything else. Um, it could be our kids. It could be a relationship that we have. Uh, it could be things that are created. It could be a house. We value our house more than anything else. Maybe it's a car or a second car or a dream car that we just value more than anything else. I'll tell you what probably um, I gravitate to most as an idol in my life. It's not money. It's not the stuff that money can buy. But it's the sense of security that money can give when you have some of it in the bank. It's that sense of like, okay, we're going to be okay we're going to be able to make it if something happens because we've got X number of dollars in the bank. We're going, to, we're going to be able to get by for a while. And it's that sense of security that money can give that can also be an idol. For some of us, we might find a sense of security in something else. We might find a, a sense of acceptance that we value and treasure more than anything else. We might find um, status in something else that we value more than anything else. So all of us, we are worshipers by nature, and all of us have a tendency to drift and to worship something other than God. The Israelites, after just 40 days, after just weeks from being rescued from Egypt, are at a point where they're like, we need to find our security. We need to find our sense of peace. We need to find our hope for tomorrow in something else. How is that possible? Verse 5, when Aaron saw this. Now, I think what that verse means is that when Aaron made the golden calf, 
right? The people were, they were anxious, they were worried, they were upset. Aaron, you've got to do something about this. He makes a golden calf, and what does Aaron see? He sees that the people have calmed down. He sees that the people are good. He sees that the people aren't stressed out and anxious anymore. There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of comfort that they now have this God before them. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord, using the same name that they have for God. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings, the same thing that they were supposed to be doing to the true God and in their relationship with God, that special covenant relationship that they have. They're now doing it in front of this golden calf. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So the same things that the Egyptians did when they worshipped, they ate, drank, they had revelry, those same things... They're now taking that, they're mixing it with worship acts of the true God, mixing those together, and they have a sense of security. A sense of everything's going to be okay. And how is it that having just been rescued, just been redeemed by the true God, they are at this point in their life? How have they so easily broken their convictions and commitment to the Lord? Verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down. Remember, he's still up on the mountain. Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. How is it that the Israelites, with their convictions and their commitments, are now trusting in a golden calf because they are corrupt. How is it that we find ourselves with convictions and commitments to the true God and the relationship that we have with him, trusting in the things of this world, allowing the things of this world to provide for us a sense of security and hope and peace and confidence? How is that possible? Because we are corrupt. Our sinful nature has a propensity to turn away from God. And despite our convictions and despite our commitments and despite the fact that we've broken that relationship and we've turned away from God time and time again and we keep coming back to those convictions and we keep coming back to those commitments and we keep breaking them, how is that? It's because we are by nature corrupt. Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, not the bullfrog, Jeremiah said that the human heart, the human heart is deceitful above all else and beyond cure. You know what that means? It means that nothing in this world can lead me astray, can turn my heart away from the Lord. Nothing in this world can do that better than my own heart because my heart is deceitful above all else. You know what that means for you? That nothing in this world can get you to break your convictions and your commitments in your relationship with the Lord. Nothing can do that better than your own heart. (laughs) That's tough to hear. 
and yet we know it's true. Why else would we keep coming back to the same convictions and the same commitments and break them time and time again? It's because our hearts are corrupt, and they lead us astray. It's a big deal. It was a big deal 3,500 years ago, verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, or I'm sorry, I should back up, verse 8. <laughs> verse 8, so they, they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. This is God telling Moses still up on top of the mountain. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. All right, this is what's going on. Verse 9, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Boy, does God take this seriously? He's ready to destroy them. He's ready to wipe them off the face of the earth because of their corrupt hearts. And they're turning away from him to trust in the things of this world. What does that mean for us? It means that God's got the same attitude towards the sinfulness in our lives too. But that's not where this story ends and that's not where our story ends either. Now, going on, these last set of verses here, just to let you know, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this today, but what God is doing here is God is really putting Moses to the test. He's really kind of putting Moses in this position and seeing, Moses, are you going to believe what I want you to believe and what you should be believing, or are you going to give in and are you going to let these people, um, let me wipe these people off the face of the earth? So this is kind of a test for Moses, but especially verse 13 is a good lesson for us and where we need to end today. But verse 11 Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. So just remember right there, the people have rebelled. The the people have corrupt hearts. And there is still favor and there is still mercy to be found in the Lord our God. And that's what Moses turns to. So he turns to the Lord. He says, O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Verse 13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened them. Corrupt hearts fierce anger. A God of favor and mercy who relents from destroying his people. How is that possible? What did Moses do? 
he recalled who God is. And for us today, for the times that we make those convictions and we have those commitments and we let ourselves down and the guilt that we feel, we need to go back to the God of, who has favor, the God of mercy, and we need to remember who God is, just like Moses did in verse 13. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of Israel. Remember who God is and who is God. God is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of life as we know it. He is the one that set the furthest star out into the night sky. He's the one that that carved out the deepest canyon in the ocean. And he knows your name. He is the one that makes the sun rise in the morning and set in the night. And he knew you before you were born. He knew what your strengths and your talents would be. He knew what your weaknesses and struggles would be in this life. He knew when would be the best time in history to bring you into this world. He knew which family would be best for him to bring you into this world. And he loved you, and he loved you, and he loved you unconditionally. That's who God is. And we make convictions, and we have commitments, and we fail, we break those own commitments. So we need to remember also who God is and what God has done. And what has God done? He sent Jesus into this world as an innocent sacrifice, as an innocent substitute for you for your sins, for your guilt, for your shame, for the convictions and the commitments that you and I break, Jesus came to be our substitute. And it's because of Jesus that this fierce anger that God has towards sin, it's because of Jesus that God relents. And that God loves to show us mercy. And he loves us, and he loves us, and he loves us unconditionally. And so where do we find that security that we so desperately want? Where do we find that comfort and that hope, not just for today and not just for tomorrow, but that hope for eternity? Where do we find that? In Jesus. And he is the one that rescues and redeems and saves us. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that our lives would glorify you. We celebrate all that you have done for us. You are the only one worthy of praise. May we honor you in all that we do. Forgive us for not putting you first in our lives. Make us true worshipers of you in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. We also join together in the prayer you have taught us.